you know, this morning we're going to talk a little bit about uh, vision, strategy, and execution. And that might sound like some things that are very technical. It's good to see Andrew here today. God bless you, Andrew, and uh, your family. Uh, we're blessed to have you here. But uh, we're talking about vision, strategy, and execution. And that applies for the church as a whole, uh, but certainly it applies to us as believers. And uh, so as we look at this today, um, you, know, you can have a vision for what it is that God has purposed to do. And uh, you can have uh, develop a strategy for what you believe God wants to do. And yet God wants it to be executed. So, you know, how many know that it's great to have wonderful, it's great to have noble plans, but then you, you have to have action steps. You've got to put it into practice. All of you who know the Lord have been given something that is not from this world. It is a, it is a revelation of God. How many know that? That didn't come from any, any other source here on the planet. You, you have a revelation from God, and with that revelation of God through Jesus Christ, you've been given a vision for how it is that God wants you to live your life. What are you to be doing? How does, it, how does this life play out? I think every person who claims to be a Christian really needs to evaluate how much of what we believe God has called us to do are we putting into practice and executing? You know, there are all, if we had cemeteries for all of the great ideas and, and the things that people believe God had given them to do that were never formed, never shaped, never acted upon, they would be, we couldn't, we wouldn't have enough landscape. So I want to talk to you today about the fact that God has given us a vision as a church. You know, how many know that the church is not in a disadvantage even after election days? Some people are worried about the health of the church due to elections. I want to tell you, if you're worried about the health of the church based on an election, you're looking to the wrong source. Because our help comes from the Lord, right? That's what the Scripture says. In Him, we live, we move, and we have our being. You know, uh, no politician grants us, you know, what we only can get from God. You know, and today, so I'm excited. There's never been a greater day than this. Every day, we should live for Jesus. But there's never been a greater opportunity for Christians to step forward than the day we live in today. And there's never, there, there is no deficiency, there's nothing lacking that you and I cannot do that. You know, God has given us all the resources that we need to live this life effectively in a world that doesn't know Christ. So someone said, uh, his name was John Dunlop, and I, I'll introduce you someday when I meet him. But we, we must be good stewards of our physical and mental health while at the same time carefully avoiding the things that can trip us up, in these ways we accomplish our first strategy, and that is to live well till the end. Of all the things that you believe God has created you to do, there's no higher calling than to live, a life, live well, to live this life well. Because you can do a lot of things, but God wants your personal life to be in order. He wants your personal life to be healthy. He wants you to be healthy in mind and healthy in spirit. 
And so it's important for us to know that as, uh, when we talk about visions and strategies and execution, that the first priority is for us to live this life well until it's end. That God wants you to live your life well. He wants you to be healthy in mind and spirit. How many here today uh, believe that God wants you to have a healthy mind? He doesn't want you to have a ping pong game going on in your head, you know, between differing, different opinions, this competition. God wants you to have a healthy mindset because when you have a healthy mindset, you accomplish more. When we live in insecurity and fear, we accomplish less. In fact, sometimes we don't accomplish much of anything. Uh, sometimes we, we, are so concerned that we're going to do something wrong as we walk in the will of God that we just stay where we are. And that's not God's plan. God doesn't want you to stay paralyzed into one position because you don't know or afraid to step out into things that might not be part of his plan for your life. And I, I tell you, I would much rather somebody be bold enough to step forward and to step beyond or outside of what it is specifically God has for them to do, and then to stay immobile, indifferent, fearful. Because you can always disciple and help someone to grow. You can always come alongside someone to help them to get that calibrated and centered in the things of God. Bill Heibel said, if the request is wrong, God says no. Uh, if the timing is wrong, God says grow if, if, uh, if, or slow. If you are wrong, God says grow. But if the request is right, the timing is right, and you are right, God says go. So if you believe that you are positioned where God wants you to be, to do what it is that you discern that he has created you to do in your lifetime. How many know you don't want to waste this life you've been given? You know, you're on the clock, you know, and, you know, as much as, uh, you know, we think about how governed by time we are, you know, the sands of time, the grains of that, uh, the sands of time are falling constantly. And with every grain of sand that falls toward the bottom of the hourglass, that's one less we have. It's one last, it represents one last moment, one last day, one last opportunity to step forward and to advance in the things that God has per created us to do, purposed us to do, and equipped us to do. So today when we talk about having a vision, how many of you have ever dreamt about what is it, God, that you made me to do? What did you, what have you put me on this earth? How many would like to believe that you're here for more, uh, than maybe just to, to fill some shoes? Just to take up space? You are here because God has given you the gift of life and He has given you, uh, the opportunities to serve Him. He's given that to us. And you know, and sometimes I, I know as that when I was younger, I used to dream about, what it was that God was calling me to. And I pray that, you know, my heart will steer back into that direction a little more than maybe what it has been. But to dream and to ask God to show us by his Holy Spirit, to give us uh, vision and to give us clarity as to what it is exactly that he wants us to do with the life that he's given us today. And when he shows that to us, God wants to help, he wants to provide us with a plan for executing that. 
You know, you can have great plans. How many know, you know, you probably couldn't care less. Robin doesn't care, so a lot of you probably wouldn't. But, you know, in football, they have what they call uh, professionals uh, uh, training camp MVPs. You know, so that means that during training camp, you know, someone is, is just excelling during that time when they're, they're forming their team and they're, they're a standout there. But then when it comes down to the game, uh, some of those people who were, were MVPs in training camp disappear because something has happened and they're no longer able to function at that level. So I don't want to just be one of those armchair Christians who believes that God has a purpose for my life. I believe that God will equip me to do what it is that he's called me to do I, and, and just sit there and think and talk about it. I, I, just, I want to walk in what it is that God has purpose for me to do. I want to live this life to the fullest, you know. And I mention this often, but I, I always say to um some of the uh, seniors that I minister to on a Sunday afternoon when we go down, I, you know, they're 93, 95, 97, 98, 102. And I always say to them something that might otherwise sound ridiculous to others. I say, don't stop living until Jesus takes you. Because sometimes people stop living the full life, the abundant life, the life that God has purposed for them to live because they say there's nothing for me where I'm at or I'm too old or I'm insignificant. There's nothing for me to do. I want to tell you, every single person in this room has been created by God to do something. And I'm going to ask you today, what is it that you're doing? What, how are you answering the call? Do you know what it is? What steps have you implemented in your life to, to bring about the disciplines of getting to where God wants you to be with regard to serving? So when we think about the scriptures we're talking about, Nehemiah is one of the best uh, books for me in the scripture. I love that book because Nehemiah was a man of God who, uh, you know, that if you read the story from the beginning to the end, you know, Nehemiah was, a, he was a um, exiled a man who had elevated in the course of time by God's providence, God elevated Nehemiah to be the, stu- the cupbearer for the king. You know, so, you know, he was responsible for making sure that no one gave the king poison Kool-Aid. And, uh, you know, I don't know that he drank Kool-Aid, but uh, the thing is, uh, whatever, he made sure that the king was secure. You know, a person who does that has to be a trusted person. You have to be, how many of you, if you knew someone was protecting your physical interest, you'd want someone there whom you trusted beyond words. The Nehemiah was a man who was trusted by Artaxerxes the king beyond words. He was not only a cupbearer who sipped and said, okay, you're good, go ahead. He was a a man who was was a counselor, a trusted advisor. He was a man whom the king had purpose to use. You know, um, and when you look at it, uh, the story tells us that Nehemiah being uh, exiled in Babylon, um, he, he had some folks who had come back from Jerusalem. Jerusalem had, uh, as you know, as they had been conquered and captive, you know, they were all exiled back, and they were exiled into Babylon, and the city lay dormant for about 100, 150 years. 
It lay in ruin. The city had been destroyed. The people who lived there went and lived throughout Babylon, and they built families there. They built their identities there. They became very planted there. And they, many of them worshipped their God, worshipped the God of Israel, but they, when they did, you know, they got so used to staying there that the idea of going back to Jerusalem was not a, was not a, was not a priority to them. But Nehemiah was told by some who had come back that the walls were still in ruins. You know, the city was still vulnerable. You know, the walls were so important because the walls offered protection. You know, they, they were, they were, there were a lot of things that took place in the, in, at those walls. At the gates of the city, there, there were arbiters placed there. There were disputes settled at the gates of the city. The city, uh, the walls aided and provided protection for the city. And, you know, so that they were significant. And the fact that they were broken down after 150 years since they had been destroyed... And there were some people living in Jerusalem. There was a little remnant of people living there. And they were living their lives in, in fear. They were vulnerable. And, you know, with the walls being broken down, it was kind of a, a symbol of shame and reproach. And so when they told Nehemiah that, his, uh, that the city was in a, in a bad way, he wept. His heart was broken. He was wrecked emotionally and spiritually by the fact that the city that he loved was still in ruins after all these years. And, you know, I believe if we look at our world today, we understand that the world is broken, right? If you think the world's okay, then you're not. Because you're looking at it through a lens that's not proper, because this world is broken, when you see hatred and contempt and you see violence and you see disregard for purity and integrity and all of those things, then there's no way to look at it and say, hey, it's all good. And we look at that world and we cannot afford to look at that world with contempt. We can't look at people with contempt because, you know, all of us without Christ are broken. All of us would have a, a straight line pass to hell if it weren't for the grace of God through Jesus Christ. How many know that as a born-again believer, you're a born-again believer by virtue of what Christ has done for you? That one day when you stand before God, it's not going to be because of what you've done, because if you could do enough to get yourself to heaven, Jesus would have never come. He would have never died on the cross. It would have been foolishness for Jesus to die upon a cross to redeem a world that could redeem itself, and we can't redeem it ourselves. So when we look at this city and these communities and the surrounding areas in this area, this is a broken world. It's not all right. It's not good. And it doesn't mean that there's not worth and value in the people of this, cult, of this world because we know there is because the word says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God saw the value in the brokenness in, to such a degree that he sent his Son to save us. 
You so as you look at this today in the scriptures that we read, he says I, when they he says some of the brothers came to visit me in Nehemiah one and other men who had just arrived from Judah, and he says I asked the, asked them the Jews who had returned from their captivity about how things were going in Jerusalem, and they said things are not going well for those who returned uh, to the province of Judah. Uh, they are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down, and its gates have been destroyed. You know, when you a little bit of the history here, just the, the nations were destroyed. The northern nation, the kingdom of uh, Jewish kingdom of Israel, had been destroyed. The southern kingdom uh, of uh, Judah had been uh, conquered. The city of Jerusalem had been completely conquered by the Babylonians and the once glorious temple of Solomon was destroyed. When the Babylons conquered Jerusalem, they deported almost everyone from the city and from the region. And for some 70 years, Jerusalem was something of a ghost town with the potential of all other cities who had faded into oblivion. When the Jews were deported to Babylon, they made their lives there. And as they made their lives, they made families, they raised children, they settled down, and many of them maintained their belief in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Some of these faithful Jews who were raised up to prominence uh, and, uh, in, and were raised up to government positions include Shad, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego as they became leaders in Babylon. Esther was made uh, queen in the courts of a Persian king. You know, we think of Nehemiah, he was uh, made a, a cupbearer. So, you know, the, the key in that is that sometimes things don't look like they're working out so well for us and we end up in places we didn't plan to go. But if you're a child of God, let me tell you, no matter where you are, you are not lost. God has not lost sight of you. God has not lost purpose for your life. And God has something specific and unique for you to do in the place where you find yourself. How often do we as people say, if only this or only that. And I want to say to you, you know, if only that really happened, we'd have another only that after it. Because people who want to serve the Lord serve the Lord with his grace and his help and his strength and his resource. If you want to serve him, how many know you can serve him? You are free to serve him. You are equipped to serve him. There is nothing that requires a what if at the end of our, uh, the idea of us serving the Lord. How many here with me just say today, I can serve the Lord right now? Anybody say that with me? I can serve the Lord right now, right where I'm at. God has a purpose for me here. You know, Nehemiah, had, God had a providential purpose for him to be close to the king. Because when he was close to the king, what happened when he was so broken by what the state of his people, it became evident to the king that Nehemiah, there was something wrong. How many of you men have ever gotten in a car and your wife didn't have much to say and you knew something was going on? Anybody beside me? And you didn't appreciate the silence until she began to tell you what it was. 
So as you think about it, it was obvious to the king that Nehemiah was greatly distressed by what had taken place. And, uh, and so long story short here is, uh, you know, after the 70 years of captivity in the Babylon, there were given, they, the people were given the opportunity to return to the homeland and the promised land. And out of, uh, out of the, some two or three million people who could have gone back, only 50,000 had gone. And they decided to return to the promised land, but they, but they did return, 2% returned. And as they returned, as in the days of Ezra, they rebuilt the temple, laid a spiritual foundation for Israel once again. So the temple had been built, the walls were still down, and that was a problem. There was no safety, there was no security, and many of the functions that took place around those walls and on those walls could not be performed because they weren't there. And so Nehemiah heard this, and Nehemiah was a man who was broken. And I tell you, the one thing uh, that I pray that God will baptize us in is a brokenness. You say, what do you mean by that? That our hearts will break the way his heart broke when, he looked at, when Jesus looked over Jerusalem. How many here could stand a few tears shed for this world that doesn't know Christ, because that really is the heart of intercession, is the, is the angst and the anguish that we have with the thought of anyone living and dying without grace and knowing the goodness of God. You know, I, I, I think about what Paul said to the Corinthian church when the man had committed uh, incestuous acts. Uh, I think with his mother-in-law, he, he, you know, he said, instead of, instead of uh, going about business as usual and your happy-go-lucky spirit, he said, you should have wept and grieved. You should have mourned. And, you know, I wonder today if we realize that there's a ministry in that, that God wants our hearts to be broken by the things that are going on in this world to the point where it drives us to, to not only uh, to fast and to pray, but to develop a plan as God gives to us because that's what Nehemiah was doing this whole time as he was broken and praying and fasting and weeping. He was formulating a plan to go help those people because he knew God had put it in his heart and he wanted a path to do it. So he went to the king and as he was with the king and the king asked him what the problem was, Nehemiah told him what the problem was and he really requested the king's help. There's a lesson in that too because sometimes we insulate ourselves from society around us because we think, well, the church doesn't need any assistance from anybody else. I, I, I really have come to think that that's wrong thinking. You want to know why? Because Nehemiah, he asked a king who didn't share his faith to, to resource or provide the safety for those who tra would travel back and to authorize the, the resources to be released to them to do what it was that they So what do I mean by that? That Nehemiah was a man of influence who had been positioned among, uh, with a king who didn't know the ways of the, uh, he didn't live as Nehemiah had lived, didn't, hadn't been raised with the God that he served. And Nehemiah audac audaciously asked him to help him with this. You know, sometimes there's some blessing to be gleaned from having a presence in the community that is valued, right? There's favor given. 
You know, we're not, we're not walking around asking the world to finance God's kingdom. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just simply saying if we, if our hearts are, are so united with God's purpose to rebuild broken lives, and we apply that in, in our communities, we're going to be given favor in places we didn't expect to find it. You see, there were two, two contrasts here. Nehemiah was a man who requested help from the king. Ezra, when he went back to build the temple, he wanted no help because God was going to supply. So you had two men who had two different methods and modes of doing what it was that God called them to do. Sometimes when people do things that we don't agree with, we tend to demonize them. So you could look at Nehemiah and say, he didn't have faith. He went to a secular king and asked him for help. And then you could look at Ezra and you say, he's the example of how we should always do it. We just say, we're going to trust God. See, sometimes the church sits around trusting God and we do nothing. Do nothing. I'm not saying you do that. I'm just saying, you know, them, the, the, the Baptists out there. I'm just kidding. You know, Methodists. Presbyterians are the worst. But, uh, but you know, you look at it and, and you understand. It's, today's the day we, we, we begin to execute the things that we need to because we're worried about how, who's in control of the Congress. And the, you know what? My mom and dad, I was out to visit with them this week. I go out when I can to say, and, and every time they turned it on, I wanted to vomit. I got to a point where I just didn't want to hear anymore. And it wasn't because it did or didn't go the way I wanted it to. I just think as believers, we, we certainly, we need to be aware. We need to be active. We need to be prayerful. But you understand, our purpose here comes from the King of Kings. Not the President of the United States. Come on, church. Not the Congress. Not the Senate. We have been placed here for this hour. How many of you, have you ever stopped to think about why you're here today? Why you're alive? And, you know, I've got, keep my notes. I will finish them one day. Uh, I'm not good at it. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Uh, my outline looks nothing like what I've done. But anyhow, I can't help it. You know, I come and, I, you know, I feel like God wants me to bring something. And if it's nothing but for my own personal edification, so be it. But I'm talking to you about Nehemiah here today. As a man who rose up, he had a purpose and he, he had a brokenness and he fasted and waited upon the Lord and he advanced in it. And you know, just as you look at the different elements of the story, he seeks favor and it was already granted by God that he should receive through this king. And, and, and Nehemiah knew that it was God who supplied regardless of whose hands it came from. You know, sometimes uh, we think God, we think too small of how God, how many think we would be better off as a church to have a stronger partnership with those in our community? Three, four. You say, well, we're already doing it. But you know what? We always talk about, oh, we've got to reach our community. We've got to reach them. But hey, when I say partner, I'm not saying we surrender our ideals or our faith or our beliefs or our uniqueness or our peculiarity. But we understand that as we get out there among people, it's just like, you know, people being concerned when New Hope came. Well, you know, they don't have our values. They don't believe what we do. And I, I don't believe that either. But you know something, when people are hungry, you can stand in line with someone who's an unbeliever and give them food. 
I think it repulses God when the church insulates itself from, uh, from other avenues of reaching people because, you know, it, it just doesn't strike the right chord with our sense of spirituality. <laughs> you know, Bethel, it, you know, if we're going to reach the world, you know, I, I, there's, uh, it's always amazing to me because I see a lot of what happens and, you know, the, the shifting that often takes place from church to church to church to church. And when something's hot, everybody goes there. And when, when this one's hot, they're going there. And everything, oh, it's revivals all over. It's all happening. I want to just say to you this. I sit and look at this group of people today, and I know some of you are visitors, but I believe in my heart that the people who are here are here. Committed to the plan that God, to the, to the vision that God has given Bethel, that we can advance and move forward in the vision of God. And so we believe that God's going to use some unique partnerships in life Here's what I say. You know, sometimes people say, well, we can make money if we rent our facilities out. I, you know, I, there's a lot of concern about that from a legal perspective. There are certain things about that that are concerned. But here's my thought. Why don't we seek ways of partnering with people out in the neighborhoods, in the communities? How many of you have neighbors that, you know, you can kind of partner with them and collaborate to accomplish certain things? to make your neighborhood a better place, to make your community the place that God has shown you in your heart that he wants it to be. How many of us are invested in our neighborhoods? Because, you know, it is not a good thing to say, oh, we've got to win them, we've got to win them when we can't walk across the street to invest in our neighbors. That we live for 20, 30, 40 years beside the same people and we don't even know who they are. God, we want the world. And God's saying, you live where you are, you've been placed there. How many like your homes? Yeah, if you like it, you'd probably say even more than not, hey God, you put me here, you gave this to me. But you know, if you believe that God gave that to you as a steward and he placed you where you are, then he has given you the, the fields around it as your assignment. Listen, I hear that mouse running across the balcony. I'm almost done. But Nehemiah knew that God had called him. Nehemiah went, and you know what? There were the people that were living in the community when he got there. He, inherited, he went there, he went early one morning, and he walked around, he left his party, and he surveyed that which was needing to be done. And I'm sure that as he looked, it was sobering, because sometimes you look at something and you think, oh, I thought this was a little smaller job. And he walked around and he surveyed it and he saw all that needed to be done. And then he addressed those who were with him and he says, God wants us to build. Because God had cemented that in his heart. And you know, what he came into was a little ragged community where people were taking advantage of other people. They were, they were, they were using exorbitant interest rates, and they were just taking advantage of people. So there was a lot of things that needed to be addressed internally as well as the wall, but Nehemiah was the man. 
that God had called there. He gets there, and there's people within the community who begin to criticize him and say, this is never going to happen. We've tried this for almost 100 years, and look where we're at. We're not, it's not going to happen. And then there were the neighboring people who were primarily the reason that those who had tried before failed, saying outside of that community that this is not going to work. And they were committed to making sure that it didn't work. And you know what, Nehemiah, I said, the Lord, he's going to protect us. But you know what he did? He said, "I, I want you to grab a weapon and a tool. And he put people at different points on the wall. You say, well, he didn't trust the Lord. You know, Nehemiah wasn't a great leader because he asked the secular king for money, for support, for protection. You say he wasn't a man of faith because he didn't just stand there and say, hey, the Lord will protect us. He said the Lord will protect us and he gave God the credit for it. But he assigned people to, to stand about as they were building. And he, you know, as we look, he, he administrated and he gave people delegated responsibilities as things had, had, had worked toward a, a completion. You know, we know that the, the, the building went up half because the people had a mind to work. And I believe my math and my memory are not always the best, but I think it, when was it, 52 days they completed it? 52 days. Nehemiah had, you know, you remember Sanballat and Tobiah, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Samaritans. Samaritans and they, were, they wanted, did not want to see Jerusalem succeed. They wanted it to stay like it was. You know, the enemy wants you to stay in that broken place. He wants Bethel to stay in the places that don't look the best, don't represent well Christ. He wants us to stay in that place. I'm not saying that that is the way, but that's what he wants us to be. How many churches say that's not going to happen? That's not going to happen. Come on, church. That's not going to happen. We're not, no, 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 not going to happen. The Lord is going to protect We do our part, he'll do his part all the time. And you know the thing is, they built because they had a heart to work. Nehemiah inspired them to work and to persevere. And they were able to build the wall. And as the the enemy saw the wall, the same who tried to shut it down in the beginning and saw it advancing, tried to to warn them that you're living in rebellion toward the king. This is not going to work. I'm going to ask Tammy to come if you would. But you know something today? The enemy of your soul and the enemy of the church is always, when the church begins to advance, when you begin to advance, the enemy's not going to say, that's good. That's good. He's going to say, who are you kidding? How many would like to say, I'm going to say it to Bethel today because I'm here. How many believe that and we'll talk more about execution. You said you were going to talk, and I am, but when you only get one-fifth of the way done, you don't get to the execution part yet. But I want to talk to you about that. How do we execute, put into practice? We have a vision statement. And I want to encourage you to look at that vision statement and ask God how to show you where you fit in there. 
And we're, we are getting on it. And I'm going to give you an example just in a moment. But as we close here, Ezra was the temple builder. Nehemiah was the wall builder. Some say Ezra, um, or, yeah, Ezra represented the uh, spiritual, and Nehemiah represented the social or secular. Not secular apart from God, but the wall was considered to be less of a spiritual work. Not true, but the, many would view it that way. And you know, they needed each other. The temple needed the wall, right? The temple needed the wall. That wall was built to protect the citizens in the temple and the places of worship. I want to ask you today, are we using the tools that God has given us to do the things that God has given us or are we living in competition with someone else? Ezra and Nehemiah could have just said, he doesn't know what he's doing. He did it wrong. Let me tell you how to do it. You know, the one thing I don't hear is Nehemiah. And by the way, he straightened the reforms out. He, made the, he said to the people, you're not going to charge these people anymore the way you're cheating them. And then Nehemiah said, and I don't want anything. He says, I don't want any of the bonuses and things that others would have collected, he said. And not only that, he said, my house is going to be opened to people that eat at my house. And he financed the people who came eating at his house because he was fully committed to every part of the reform. The wall, the culture, the religion. And we've got to be committed. Not committed to our thing as much as committed to the thing that gives value and importance to what we do. I'm going to ask you if you'd stand with me this morning. And I know there's a lot of, maybe you're visiting, you say, I don't know what really to take from this. I'll give you what you can take from this right here. Number one, you were created by God. Number two, you are where God is, has purpose to use you. God wants you to dream and to see what it is that he has purposed for you to do. The Bible says that people will see dreams in the last days, right? How many here want to be a dreamer? You want to see, you want to dream. You know, Nehemiah was a dreamer. Heart was broken, but the, the heartbreak didn't rule over the dreaming that God gave him to see what it is that he purposed to do. I believe when Nehemiah went out that morning, to look in all uh, uh, that evening or whenever it was, he went out by himself to survey. You know, God was having that, he was having that intimate moment with God before he challenged the people and, and they would launch into this wholeheartedly. You're going to have that alone moment with God. And you're going to prayerfully survey where, where God has placed you and what he's called you to do and whether or not you're taking the steps to get activated in that. You know, we can't be the church of we woulda, coulda, shoulda, might have, but didn't. Every one of us have to be the people who have lived this life well for God's purposes, to do the will of God. And so... God created you. He placed you where you are. 
I think he seeded in your heart an idea of what it is that he has purposed for you to do. And perhaps you're doing it. And I want to encourage you to, to invest heavily into whatever God has set before you. Surrender your heart to him so there is no neglect of family, spouses, and children in, in, in embracing the call of God. But as a family, there will be great appreciation for that calling that has come. I pray, Lord, that no one will waste the time that you've given. No one will waste the opportunities. No one will say, if only the circumstances were a little better, more favorable to me, then I would be able to do what it is that uh, I believe God wants me to do. That's baloney. You can do what it is that God has called you to do. You can serve where God has you. You can be effective and effectual in advancing the kingdom of God as God flows through you. I'm going to ask this morning if you would just extend your hands to the Lord and say, God, I'm here today as a child of God. I'm here as a person of faith who believes in someone greater and something greater than what can be seen with the natural eye. And Lord, just as Nehemiah looked and he looked at those broken down piles of rubble, Lord, I believe you showed him what it is that you were desiring to do. And that's why he could lead with such power and influence and anointing. And when the enemy said, come out, let's talk together. He said, I can't come out and talk to you. I have been given a great assignment. I cannot come down. I am serving the will of God. I cannot come out to you. They wanted to ambush and kill him. And he said, nope, I've got stuff I'm busy with. Come on, church. We can't surrender the call that God's placed on our lives to the distractions around us, to the voices around us that will pull us away from the will of God for our lives. We want that intimate moment where, Lord, we survey the the broken walls, that you have placed us around or in, Lord God, and give our heart, help us to have hearts that are like the heart of God as demonstrated in Nehemiah, that we will pray, pray and our hearts will be broken and Lord, and tenderized and made ready to serve. And Lord, our wills would be steeled by the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray for Bethel today. I need you to partner with me in this. And you have, and I thank you for all those who are here, for all that you have invested over the years in your your presence, your time, your support financially, your involvement in ministry. Lord, I, I just thank you for those that you have brought in recent and those you are, you are, you are using to, to, to build something. I don't like to say rebuild because we're not rebuilding. God builds new things with great respect and appreciation to what God has done. We believe that this is a day where God is giving fresh vision and fresh direction. And Lord God, we want to move where you want us to move. Do what you want us to do. We want to be your hands extended. We pray for favor. How many will join me today asking for favor upon Bethel today? Lord, we want your favor to be on this house of worship. 
Lord, we don't won't need the glitz and the glamour. We don't need to sell anything, Lord God, but we do need the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be on this house, the fullness of the Holy Spirit that builds connections in the mission field that we've been placed to do that which God has called us to do. How many believe that God will do that for us? God, that our hearts would yearn with a holy passion from God to see lives changed, lives restored, lives uh, built up, that people raised up out of the ruins and, and built up in, in the faith and in the goodness of God. Lord, we pray for marriages to be healed and restored. We pray for children, Lord God, to be mentored by, uh, Lord, those who will uh, know you, Lord God, and love you. Lord God, we pray for every nursery and every school, every daycare, every every facility, Lord God, where young people gathered, that, Lord, that there will be someone among us present. when we see the brokenness of humanity and we say, God, I see what you purpose to do here and I'm here. Lord, we thank you. Lord, forgive me for obsessing over a false dependency on others to help the church in the sense, Lord God, that we can't have substitutes for our relationship with God. We can't have substitutes for the Holy Spirit. Can't have substitutes for the blood of Christ. Lord, so I, I, I don't need for everything to go my way in order for you to do what you purpose to do. Lord, help us to, to, to exceed and to excel. Lord, a hundred plus years had come and gone and those walls just remained the way they were and anyone who tried to rebuild was discouraged and put out of business and Lord God until a man named Nehemiah came and I believe the spirit that indwelt Nehemiah is in the church today and Lord every one of us there's young people in this room who have the same spirit that Nehemiah was given even greater access to things that Nehemiah had not known that we know through the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask as we close here, uh, if you don't know the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior, you know, everything else in your life, it might be wonderful in, in, in certain regards, but you know it will never be what it could be without the foundation of Christ in your life. I'm not talking about religion. Religion uh, can be uh, it can stifle. It can be legalistic. It can be it can be drivel. But you know, I'm not demonizing religion either. I'm just saying it can be a, a god, an idol. It can be a false sense of security. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm talking about. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, when you stand before God, he's not going to be concerned about how many good things you did and how many bad things you did. And if you did enough to uh, uh, tip the balance in one way or another, because what he did for us was more than, we, more than enough. Lord Jesus, I believe that as you came to this earth, you saw us. You saw us in our sinful condition, and the world says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is everlasting life. And Lord, I believe that today. I believe that sin is death. And Lord, sin rolls over us and death rolls over us, Lord, apart from Christ. But when we come to Jesus Christ and say, God, forgive me of my sin, he cleanses us from every sin. All sin completely cleanses us in mind and spirit from all sin, past and present. And when he cleanses us, he removes the yoke of guilt. We don't walk with that guilt and shame anymore because God has taken that guilt and that yoke of sin and he's thrown it into the sea because we're no longer ruled over by the fallen nature. And Father, I pray over this house, Lord, that there'll be people who say, Lord, I lay down my life and I receive the life that you give. Resurrection life that begins from the inside. You can't live the life of God just simply from the external. It begins internally with what you invite God to do in your heart and in your life. And that's where it begins. And in Jesus' name, we receive forgiveness. We receive cleansing. We receive the Holy Spirit who comes in. And the past loses its hold and the chains fall off. The condemnation falls away. The bondage falls away. Who we were to the world is no longer who we are in Christ. We're a new creation. Old things have been moved away. All things become new. day if you've walked with the Lord and you've run off in another direction God says hey you can come back it's not too late you know, always come into the warm embrace of a father who's never stopped loving you never stopped caring for you Lord we do we just come back Lord because sometimes there's an estrangement that happens in our relationship with you because of the things that the world promises, the things that we think are out there, 
that can't be found as long as we live this life of faith. And Lord, I pray that if there be any that this speaks to today, that today will be a day, Lord, that they'll know that you've delivered your mail to them, to us. And Father, we pray and receive your grace and your forgiveness. Lord, we are restored to that place of intimate relationship with God as we run to the Lord. Don't run away. Don't run away. It's not, you know, God is not a God that we need run away from. Because if God is running after us, it's because he loves us. He cares. So this morning, or after, I think it's still morning, but if it, whatever it is, you know, I want you to, um, to make that decision for Christ. Because the greatest decision you'll ever make in life, among a lot of really important decisions, who you, where you go to school, where you, who, what kind of job you choose, what kind of, who, who you marry, where you live, you know, all these things are all important, but none are as important as making that decision to surrender your heart to Christ. Because that's where and when all the other things work out. Tammy, would you lead us in this song? And I'd just like to say, if you've made a prayer of commitment or recommitment to the Lord today, uh, today, please share that with somebody. You have family, you have friends here. You can share it with myself. But just say, hey, I, I just need to let someone know that I've come to Jesus today or I've come back to him. I'm going to ask Jeff, don't, don't, if you'd come and Josh, are you here? We're going to close, but I'd ask you to come. These are the folks that are investing in the strategies of Bethel here. Is, uh, is, um, Kevin and Bree? I don't know if Crystal's in here or not, but, um, these are team members that have come along and we're, we're activating. We are activating and we're, we want you to be part of the activation as to what God is doing. You know, we have Bree and Matt do a wonderful job with our youth. Crystal does a wonderful work with our children. We have great uh, nursery care provided here for your children, uh, seniors ministries. We are activating, and we want you to activate with us at a higher level than ever before more effectual. And so Josh is our outreach pastor and he's done so many wonderful things here with home groups and, 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 and making a, a prayer strategy, implementing that and getting us connected and invested in schools and businesses in the area here. Uh, and Jeff is a, a man of, of a great wealth of uh, scriptural knowledge as a teacher and he's working with discipling our folks in the word and uh, we want you to get active get active don't sit on the sidelines don't say well I will I would if say no I am I'm fully committed to this and so we're going to just ask this morning as we pray I'm going to ask as we close if uh, Josh Josh would offer a a brief benediction and, and who did I say, Josh? Did I say Josh and Jeff? If you both would just pray over this body here. And uh, it's, I don't know the others aren't here, but uh, they would pray too. Je- Josh, would you mind?
world and see the brokenness and the hurt and the pain would look at this world and find the very purposes for which you have placed us here at this time. And so Lord, raise us up and send us out. We pray that you would just continue to make connections with the community, that we would make connections everywhere that you send us, that we would go forth and be your hands and feet and your light that would shine in this community. And we pray, Lord, that this community would never be the same again. Lord, you promised that you would cover this earth with the knowledge of your glory. And so, Father, we go forth into our community to spread the knowledge of your glory. And we believe that those promises will be fulfilled in our community and in our region through a people who say yes to you. A people who are not shrinking back in fear, but are rising up to meet the challenges of our day and to advance the kingdom in a powerful way. And so, Lord, we give ourselves to you and we say, use us for the glory of your name. May Jesus Christ be lifted high and glorified in this community and in this region. Anoint each and every one of us as we go forth, Father. May we each find the purposes for which you have created us. And may we go forth to do what you have called us to do. In your name, Jesus. Yes, Lord, we do just thank you for this message of purpose today. And I just think it's so beautiful, God, that this morning we got to focus on beautiful children who have their whole lives ahead of them. But God, you know their lives. From the moment we're born, before the moment we're conceived, you knew us. You knit us together. You purposed us. And wherever we are standing here today, if we're in the first few years of lives or in our life or most of our life is behind us, You have purpose for us. You have a destination for us each moment of every day. So I just pray that you will just help us as we get out of bed every morning, as we leave this place, as we start each day fresh, that we can find a way to follow you, that your spirit will be our guide into all things, God. Guide us into who you designed us to be, to reach the people you've purposed us to reach. We thank you for this. We pray this all in your name. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG, Littlestown, Pennsylvania.